You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Uh, if you're turning to Luke 146 is where we're at. We've been looking at the life of, of Mary, this, this one who modeled a response to Yahweh, exalting the Lord, looking at Mary's life, but who she points to. So we've been looking at that. We're in Luke 146 today, the Magnificat. Uh, as it's called, maybe in your scriptures. On our way there, I have, do have a picture here from Lincoln from last week. I think he and Malachi gave you one. So this, can you guess where this is, right? There's Lincoln, you didn't draw your head in there, in the, the little uh, stable there. But anyway, he's got a great picture there of, of uh, time, Joseph and Mary, and where they were. And we're thinking about that here at this time. So thank you, Lincoln, for drawing that. There, I post those uh, in the back, you can see all those, and that's great. Keep drawing, kids. All right, well, let's look at God's Word. We're going to be in Luke 1. We're at verse 46. Mary has visited. She's with Elizabeth. <clears throat> and then we read this from God's Word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray again before we look at this. Father, We come to you again, we acknowledge this is your word, so we're studying not just some book of good ideas today, or or, or a self-help type manual. This is a book that, Lord, is intended to draw us to yourself, to the Savior, that the scriptures might be fulfilled in Christ, and that we might glorify your holy name, as Mary has proclaimed here. So guide us, Lord, to come... Come out of our time in your word today, each one of us, to magnify you in our lives. That our souls would rejoice, our spirits would leave here not rejoicing in just the season or the the good things we see around us, but rejoicing in you, our God, our Savior. And I pray that your spirit would work amongst us as we study and look at your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I always go for definitions to a place, Webster's Dictionary, but the one from 1828. If you look that up online, that's a good place to go, the 1828. And to define the word as magnify, here's a couple things he's looking at here. What does the word magnify mean? It means to make great or greater. That's one. Uh, Number two, to make great in representation, to extol or to exalt in description or praise, like the ambassador magnified the king and queen. Or number three, to extol, to exalt, to elevate, to raise in estimation. 
We actually see magnification, magnifying all around us, and, and we too were involved in it. We elevate men and women, that status of being famous, right? We kind of we magnify, we elevate them. If you can act well, if you can sing really good or put on a good show, if you're interviewed on national TV, right, your status is exalted, you're, you're famous. Right? If, even if we get on TV for five minutes, that's your five minutes of of fame. You're kind of magnified. That tends to do that there. We magnify objects. And look at that car, right? Or we magnify experiences. You should do that. This is, let me tell you why you should go do this. Or have you seen that movie? You know, the one, it's, got, it's so good. I wonder how much money is going to come in this week in the newest release of a story of a guy named Skywalker. If you've heard of that story which I hope to go see anyway, by the way. But we know how to exalt things and people and experiences. In fact, we know how to do what Mary did in this song. We know how to magnify. But the question is, do we magnify the same person? Is our praise, our rejoicing, our ultimate exaltation rooted in the Lord or the things of man. We're going to look at our text here. And heading to it, we find Mary at verse 46. I believe she's still in the presence of Elizabeth. So if you get the picture here, Elizabeth has just spoken these words of blessing over Mary. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who has believed. And yet, instead of Mary saying, thank you, Liz, it's always been in me, or... Uh, thank you, I've, I have just found my true self. That's not her response. What does she do? Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She turns all the praise, honor, glory to somewhere, to God, her Savior. And Mary's model of response here is to treasure God alone. She's not treasuring her response. She's not glad in her her faith alone, but it's in where her faith goes, to God himself, the one her faith is in. Really, and we've talked about this before, the object of her faith. I'm not saying, look at how good my faith is. Look at who is good that I'm putting my faith in. So look at verse 46. We're just kind of going to work, work down through this, and I think we could divide it maybe in, in two ways. There's kind of this individual, as Mary looks at magnifying the Lord and worshiping, and then it broadens. So we're going to look at kind of Mary's response and then broaden it out to, to others. And I think that's what happens here. So verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, verse 47, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I think this goes beyond just mere words of thanks or expressions of gratitude or just a statement of praise. There is soul work going on here i probably even read it too fast i mean just think of her soul and her spirit there's work going on we looked in our first week kind of studying mary and looking at her life we looked at her questions you know what kind of greeting is this or how is this going to be these questions and there was i think there was faith underlying those questions but there were questions to be asked last week we looked at mary let it we talked about that. Let it be according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. And, and Elizabeth praises her. 
believing that there would be a fulfillment of what God had spoken. So there's this, this questioning, there's this faith, belief, and I believe you could say it leads to what we see here, worship. Father, how are you going to do this? We trust him for his answers, ultimate answers in his scripture. We believe, trust what he said, and we worship. And I think there's kind of a, perhaps a pattern we would see here. You've got this titled, uh, perhaps in your Bible, the Magnificat. Uh, you see that maybe section heading, Mary's Song of Praise, the Magnificat. Have you heard of that before? It's really just, it's just a, you can see it in the, in the Latin there, a way of describing this section, this, this magnifying of the Lord. That's what Mary's doing. So I think it bears that name. It's the magnifying. It's not magnifying Mary. It's magnifying the Lord, Yahweh, God, the Savior. There's two action words here. You can see them there, right? My soul does something, magnifies. My spirit rejoices. Two actions words here. Now, the word magnifies has with it an idea there's a continually taking place of this. It's continually magnifying. It's not just I have done that. It's I am magnifying. My uh, soul here is magnifying, we put the I-N-G on it, is magnifying the Lord. Now, the, the word rejoices makes it seem continual, and I think it is, but, but the sense of that verb is a little different. That has, it has a beginning point. There's a, there's a starting point to it. And perhaps I think it is God's gracious announcement. We talked about His grace on Mary. That announcement begins the joy, and I think putting them together, there's a continuation of that. But it has a, there's a starting point. But putting them together, I think we can see Mary is in a state of exalted, glad, magnified praise in the Lord God, her Savior. She's joyful. It's rejoicing. You could say she's made, made glad here. My spirit is made glad. There's happy in God, my Savior. And we talked about already these lines having the object of praise. Do you see that? She is magnifying someone, the Lord. She is rejoicing in someone, God, her Savior. You might say she's zeroed in here on who alone is worthy of the praise and honor and blessing, and it's not Mary. Her gladness, her joy, exalting, it's in her God, the Lord. As we go on to verse 48, the humble one is also the blessed one. So look at verse 48. Four, and we get these helpful words. Mary, why are you magnifying? Why are you so glad? She's going to tell us why. God's going to tell us why in his scripture. But verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Here it is again. I mean, last week we saw, I'm the servant of the Lord. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Generations are going to call Mary blessed. And a question here, what's she saying? It, is this Mary kind of puffing herself up? They're going to call me blessed. They're going to call me something. I don't know. We've got to answer no. Why? Because she just referred to herself as the humble servant, the humble estate of your servant. So the blessing's not in just Mary saying, cool, they're going to make statues of me and that sort of thing. No, no. She's blessed in someone, that object of her magnification, the Lord or Savior. She's not blessed because of some of her own exaltation 
or her eternal sinlessness or a saintly status somewhere beyond all other saints in Christ. She's blessed because God is accomplishing his great work in her. We're going to see that in verse 49. He's the one. He's done great things. God's come to Mary that she would carry in the womb the one, Jesus, who would rule over the house of Israel forever. So look then, verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. How can an announcement, I'm I'm thinking just, Humanly speaking, would that this announcement kind of rock Mary's world? Here's a, a virgin betrothed to Joseph, and now she's going to be found with child. How would that inspire a worship song? That's what we're looking at. They call it hymns. There's three of them here, I think, in Luke 1 and 2. She's worshiping. She's singing in the midst of, this is some heavy news and how is this all going to happen and, and what's going to be the reaction, all these sorts of things perhaps going through her mind. How does this inspire praise? And I think you could say here it's because Mary knows her God. She knows her God and the rest of the text bears this out. She knows her God. She's going to, throughout this text, she's going to speak of God's holiness. We see that in verse 49 here. She's going to speak of his mercy, his strength, his satisfying provision, his help, his remembrance, his faithfulness. You see, throughout this, Mary knows her God. She knows of him personally. And I believe here, too, that Mary knows God because she knows his word. Now, we read through it already, and we won't read through and look at this, but there are so many different scriptures interlaced throughout this song of Mary. Um, they come from places, if you've got like a reference Bible where you have some little letters and they help you go, okay, where is this in the Old Testament, that sort of thing, it's just full of places. We could spend the afternoon going to all these places that Mary is referring to in this one song. For instance, she's in First Samuel, uh, uh, where, it, where Hannah's praising the Lord also for, for the birth of her. she who is barren, bears, bears Samuel. There's the Psalms, Isaiah is used, Deuteronomy, Micah, Zephaniah. I counted up roughly 40-some places, and there could be a little more, a little less, but around 40 different Old Testament scriptures that are kind of pulled together in this one worship song. I think she knew the word. So you could, and you could say here, Mary... What she's proclaiming is not really original. It's not her wording per se. She's praising God. But isn't it unique? She does it by voicing back his own word. She's, it's like she's just steeped in the word of God and the praise comes out, but it's his word anyway that's coming out of her mouth. Well, one other note in, in this verse, and it's that phrase then, this holy is his name, God's name. Holy is his name. I I think in a sense, she's summarizing her God. She's proclaiming he's holy. He's done great things. Holy is his name. And this doesn't simply refer to holy like we would say, you're Tom or I'm Mike, that kind of just, this is your name. This is the name of, of God here. And holy refers to not just a name, but really who that person is. 
God is majestic. He is holy. He's set apart. He's pure. R.C. Sproul comments on God's holiness. And I I want you to capture this because it helps us understand what it means that God is holy. Because R.C. is going to make a point that holy is not just one of the things about God. It kind of encompasses all of who God is. So listen to what he says. He says, The tendency is to add the idea of the holy to this long list of attributes as one attribute among many. But when the word holy is applied to God, it does not signify one single attribute. On the contrary, God is called holy in a general sense. The word is used as a synonym for his deity. That is, the word holy calls attention to all that God is. It reminds us that his love is holy love. His justice is holy justice. His mercy is holy mercy. His knowledge is holy knowledge. You get the idea. His spirit is holy spirit. It encompasses this God that Isaiah sees these seraphim crying out. We see it in Revelation. If you're reading along through the Bible, you saw it, I think, just a few days ago. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That idea. Perhaps Mary has in mind something. This is one of those 40 references, Isaiah 57, 15, that says this. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, Now, this is that holy one speaking, God. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The holy one comes to those humble. So is Mary exalted here? Absolutely not. Her God is. He's the Holy One. That's who she worships. And she knows her God and she knows his word. All right. Well, in verse 50 and beyond, I think we see there's a shift, a bit of a shift from God's blessing just upon the humble one of Mary, such that this this merciful work of God is for all who would fear him. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. There's a, there's a widening of this here. Uh, again, just one more definition from 1828 from Webster. Defining mercy, this idea of mercy. Here's what he says. It's that benevolence, that mild, uh, mildness or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries or to treat an offender better than he deserves. Right? Some of this morning said, how you doing? I'm better than I deserve. That's mercy. We've been shown mercy. And we have here God's holiness and his mercy. Do you catch that? This pure, set-apart one who's holy is merciful. He's merciful. This holy one is before us, and yet we in our sin, we're lost in sin, so we think who can stand before his holiness? It's the contrite, the lowly. The one, you might say, who fears God and there's mercy. This word mercy here, I believe it's the New Testament way of speaking. You read a lot in the Old Testament about God's steadfast love. The Hebrew word is chesed. It's just fun to say if you want to try it. Chesed. 
That's his steadfast love of the Lord. It's like this covenantal love. And I think that that's when the Greek is translated in the Hebrew, you get this mercy idea. Mercy is going on. Generation to generation, there's a promise for his mercy to endure. Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. Praise the Lord. So God's might, his work, his mercy, this is not just, man, I wish I could pray like Mary. You can. It's for those. For those who fear him, for those who come to him. She serves as, as an example of one who in their poorness, they look away from self for help. They look away from this world to save them and look to the Holy One. Well, Mary continues in praise and, and really why both she and therefore all of God's people can magnify the Lord. And I want you, I'm going to read a couple of verses now, 51. I want you to, as I read through these, I want you to notice the contrasts. That is this to this, this to this. So find those contrasts in here. We'll read 51 through uh, 53. It says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. You see those contrasts in here? There's a scattering of the proud, bringing down the mighty, and yet an exalting those of a humble estate, those lowly, those poor, those downhearted, the meek. And in verse 53, the hungry, they're satisfied while the rich go empty. Would you turn, if you're in Luke, just go to Luke chapter 6. Now we see similar things in Matthew 5, but just, just page over to Luke 6. We can look at this real briefly. Luke 6, uh, 6.20, it would be Luke 6.20. Jesus now, later in his ministry, he is speaking. We, we refer to Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to hear these words from, from Luke here, starting verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And then the contrast, verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Again here, this is not a way to get rich monetarily, for God knows those riches, they are never going to satisfy. They're going to rather distract us from God himself as the greatest treasure in Christ. And Matthew as well helps us in his section, helps us understand this hungering and thirsting. Yes, God will provide physically for us, but there's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he talks about the poor in spirit. God is with that type of person. There's the merciful help of God and it's for his people. 
And as we look back in Luke chapter 1, we look on and look at these last two verses of this Magnificat. Verse 54 then. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He has helped his servant Israel. Helped. He's a helper. Again, Mary's just pulling all these places. Throughout the Psalms, we see God as a helper. That's what Mary's declaring him to be here in verse 54. We see it in Isaiah 41. God brings comfort to his chosen people. Just listen to this. She's quoting, she's praising the Lord. Can we praise him? Listen for this, what he says. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Do you see this? This Holy One comes. He's merciful to help those who are not holy, are like worms, to save them, to redeem them. And in Mary's words here in Luke, God has helped His servant. But I believe here there's kind of a, there's a past aspect to this and a future aspect because there's a history. There's a history with this of God helping Israel and a history of their rejection of him. And they would plead for his, his mercy and he would show his steadfast love. He would do great things in the past. But there's also another way, I think, in, in all these descriptions, because you look at it, he has done this, he has done this, he has done this. He's brought down. He's exalted. He's filled. He's sent away. He's helped. There's a way of speaking of the future. Let's see if this makes sense. Speaking of the future in a past tense. Like it's already happened. And that's what more than one commentator sees what Mary is saying here in this section as if she's almost declaring God's future sure work in Israel. For instance, like he has shown strength and that points to what God is doing in the Messiah who she's about to give birth to. He has shown, it's almost like a future in a sense we look at in the Old Testament sometimes this past tense in the future that God's already done this. That's what he's doing in a sense of he's showing strength. He has, like it's already happened. Messiah is coming. He has filled the hungry. There's a future work as Jesus speaks of it that we read about here even further in Luke and and then symbolizes it in the feeding of the 5,000. There's these themes throughout. A sort of declaration, the work, this is the work presently God is doing. He's helping His servant Israel. He's remembering His mercy. Just as He spoke in the past, He's doing these things. He's active. And Mary ties then, verse 55, she ties the work of God to his covenant dealings with Abraham and the promise of his offspring. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, mercy. And we go, who's the offspring of Abraham? Take a look, one more place in your New Testament. Just, I would love for you to go here to Galatians 3. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. What is this offspring of Abraham? Is there hope for a bunch of Gentiles? 
is there? Paul says, he's talking about Abraham's offspring. He's, he talks about it referring to Christ, that, that where it says that, that uh, one, let me get here, where is that? Um, yeah, he's referring not to many, but to one, your offspring, who is Christ. And then look at Galatians 3, 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And here's the hope and why we can magnify the Lord along with Mary today. And if you are Christ, verse 29 says, then you are Abraham's offspring. You're heirs according to the promise. Can you say, can we say this Holy One is our God? He's this, I have a relationship with this God, that this helper that we've been reading about in Luke who satisfies the hungry, that's our helper, that's our satisfier, that our souls, though we be sinners, be Gentiles, that we can too magnify the Lord. Yes, by God-given faith in Christ. We can magnify God with Mary. Not praying to Mary, not exalting Mary, but looking to the same great God and Savior she was looking to. We read at the end of our passage in Luke here that from there Mary stayed three months. I presume that's until John. John, we know, is the Baptist, is born. Others differ. Some say she went home before he was born. It's not a matter of great disagreement we need to have, but I think she stayed and then she headed home. And we're going to read on Christmas Eve, we'll read that birth account that we're familiar with from the book of Luke. Let me offer as we close just two, two applications, one kind of leading into the, into the next. And you've probably heard them as we've gone through this passage, but just to bring attention to them again. Number one application to think about as we look at Mary's life here, she knew God. She knew her God and she knew his word. And, and we want to respond like that. She, she models this response to God, a response of worship and praise based on his, his word. So rather than her exalting herself, she exalts God. Her boast is in the Lord. And the question for us, does that characterize my life? Does, does my life magnify the Lord? That's the question for each of our individual souls, our hearts. People look back at my last, as Paul Tripp is prone to say, look at your last six months, what's the videotape show of your life? The show of magnifying of the Lord and exalting of His name. I want to read a little extended quote from a fellow, perhaps you've read some of his books, A.W. Tozer. I found this, this in just really the first chapter of his book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And I want you to hear this. This, it's a convicting statement. I'll try to read it to you so you can hear it. I know it's a long quote. Sometimes those are hard to, to listen to, but try to come in and hear what he's saying to the church and our idea of exalting the Lord. Here's what he says. <clears throat> Perverted notions about God soon rot the religion in which they appear. The long career of Israel demonstrates this clearly enough, and the history of the church confirms it. So necessary to the church is a lofty concept of God that when that concept in any measure declines, 
the church with her worship and her moral standards declines along with it. The first step down for any church is taken when it surrenders its high opinion of God. You with them so far? That's, we kind of got that. When we surrender a high view of who God is, he says that's the first step down. I'll read on. Before the Christian church goes into eclipse anywhere, there must first be a corrupting of her simple, basic theology. She simply gets a wrong answer to the question, what is God like, and goes on from there. Though she may continue to cling to a sound nominal creed, her practical working creed has become false. The masses of her adherents come to believe that God is different from what he actually is, and that is heresy of the most insidious and deadly kind. The heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today, and I mean, does this not fit with today, but he's right in this mid-20th century, the obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of him and of her. In all her prayers and labors, this should have first place. We do the greatest service to the next generation of Christians by passing on to them undimmed and undiminished that noble concept of God which we received from our Hebrew and Christian fathers of generations past. This will prove of greater value to them than anything that art or science can devise. You hear what he's saying here? He's rightly advocating for a high, exalted, you might say in Mary's word, magnified view of who God is. The Holy One. That our opinion doesn't simply see God as kind of a chum or buddy or a friend, though He is. Or just one kind of walks beside us. He's just there. We see Him as the Holy One. He's exalted. He's beautiful majestic, glorious. And that same one who would humble himself to come in a manger, to die on a cross for sinners and rise again, that those poor in spirit who cry out to him and say, I'm unworthy, I'm a worm, that they would find salvation in him alone. I believe Mary knew God and she knew his word. May we likewise live like that. And then, just lastly, that this type of praise, this joy in the Lord, that this helper that Mary magnified is not just something, man, I wish I could be like Mary. It's something for all who by faith come to Christ. The promises of God and His might, the joy of knowing Him, they're for all who would humble themselves to acknowledge, repent of our sin, and turn to the Savior. Turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. The question for, for you is, have you received that gift? Out of all the gifts that might be there, the, the, the things we might magnify, have you received the gift of salvation that you might be reconciled to the holy God through Christ? Prayer for all of us, whether that's, yeah, I, I've done that or I need to do that. Settle that in your heart. When you ask the question, what's God like? And you say, I don't know. He's okay. Well, what's God like? He's holy. I'm a worm. I'm, I'm unworthy. That's a great place to be. Not to stay there, but to come 
and say, I need Jesus. I need what this cross is talking about. May Christ be formed in you this season so that you return home rejoicing and magnifying the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we are bombarded with temptation to magnify so many other things than you in our lives. And I would, I would gather each one of us, if we got to the heart of our souls that still wrestle with sin, we would prefer to magnify ourselves above pretty much anything else. Lord, would you, as we pray what could be a dangerous prayer, but maybe a blessed prayer, would you humble us that we would come under the mighty hand of God, that we would exalt you, Lord, in our lives. And Father, may we not come in, in, in a scared type of fear to you. You offer salvation to those that would call on your name, that would repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And Lord, if that's our story, we can come boldly and we can enjoy and magnify your name, not fearful anymore that the Holy One will, will spend his wrath on us because it was spent on your Son on the cross. So Lord, may we enjoy this restored relationship, not exalting in our faith, not exalting in how far we've come or even what church we go to or how often we attend or anything, but exalting in the name of you, Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, may our lives magnify you. May you be formed in us. We pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.